Building in Perth, everything you wish you knew in five informative episodes. Available on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So here we are live and in stereo for the first time and visual as well. If you happen to be watching on YouTube, for those of you listening, you can also jump onto YouTube and watch this in video as well. Uh, This is the Building in Perth podcast. Uh, My name is Ryan D. Rosario, better known as Dezo in the Perth building industry. Uh, Basically, what we're going to be going through is... I guess an audio version, if you like, of my book called Building in Perth, Everything You Wish You Knew, uh, sort of garnered well over a thousand downloads at this point in time. And someone mentioned that it would actually be a really great idea if I did this in a audio video uh, type format. It seems to be quite popular with people at the moment, sort of, you know, having a listen to a podcast in the car or at the gym, or whatever it might be. So I thought it would be something that I would explore. I've never done anything like this whatsoever. So uh, we can fumble our way through this together. Now, uh, what we're going to be going through uh, over the course of five episodes is that that building journey and all the different parts that, that make up the whole. Uh, first, what we're going to be going through is going to be predominantly to do with finance. And we'll be talking to Ivan Gavron from Resolve Finance a little bit later uh, in this episode, there will be multiple interviews with different people along the way. We're going to be talking to a settlement agent. We're going to be talking to a site manager. Uh, we're going to be talking to a land agent and Jamie from uh, Intelligent Home, just about the tech space we're building as well, which will be uh, pretty interesting. Um, so just a little bit about myself first and foremost. So I've been in the Perth building industry um, for over 10 years now, and most of that time I was actually working on some McMansion sort of stuff, multi-million dollar homes, designing the automation systems that went into these homes. So what is that? You probably uh, ask. Uh, Basically, that is looking at all of the electrical systems that might go into the home. So that might be lighting, heating, cooling, audio, visual, home theaters, security systems, cameras, uh, and pulling them all into one system. So on these really, really large homes, uh, there is a lot of technology that goes into those uh, homes and, and and getting those homes to work effectively, if that sort of makes sense. You might have 300 circuits of lights in, in a home as an example. You need a, a way to manage that. So uh, that was my role. I used to pull in all of those systems, deal with all the different uh, third-party contractors supplying and install those systems and the architects and interior designers to put those systems together. So that's a little bit about where I've come from. Um, I started doing the design and sales of the whole home a couple of years ago. Now, what I ended up finding when I was working with uh, those architects and designers every day was that I was getting more and more interested in the house as a whole and how the kitchen was going to look more so than the technology. So I decided it was time to make the move uh, across to doing the home as a whole uh, rather than just the tech within it. So look to dive into, I guess, the first few pages of the book, and I'm going to more or less read the first few pages of the book uh, for this very first part. As we progress, it's going to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, candid and uh, unscripted as we go into things like the interviews and things like that. But the the ground rules part in the first few pages of my book, I think is uh, really, really important. So I'm going to uh, not read it word for word, but I'm, I'm going to reference it pretty heavily. So uh, page says, let's start with some basic ground rules. So have fun. So this is absolutely critical. Uh, if you're not having fun when you're going through this process, uh, I don't think you should be doing it. That's my honest opinion. Um, you should be having fun. And if you're not having fun, you're probably just not dealing with the right people or maybe just yourself. You might not be quite ready for it yet. Uh, it's really, really um, important. And I'm going to say that word a lot, important, that you are enjoying it 
all the way along. It's a creative journey and a really exciting one. So just make sure you're having fun. Communicate. So everyone throughout the journey is there to help you. So it might be your building consultant like me, it might be a settlement agent, it might be your broker, the land agent. Everyone is on your team and we're all there to help you. You should never ever feel like you're against any of those people or in some sort of battle or struggle. Uh, again, that comes back to that have fun part. If you find yourself in that situation, it's probably not the right people that you're uh, choosing to make the journey with. Do your research and look for quality, not quantity. Uh, now, this is something I see, I guess, people do all the time when they're going through this building process. And it, it's kind of interesting because their usual buying habits seem to almost go out the window on what is their biggest investment. So all of a sudden, people are kind of drawn to, uh, I would say, big flashing lights, but you know, big marketing messages and lots and lots of things rather than the quality of the things that are in the home. So you know, don't be too blinded by uh, big numbers, massive lists of, uh, let's call it inclusions, extras, bonus, because it's all just marketing words. Just remember that you're always paying for everything uh, when you do build a home. And I'm gonna to touch on that again in a moment. Ask questions. So as far as I'm concerned, the only question that is dumb is the one that remains unasked. I mean, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, how insignificant or small or silly you might think it is. Uh, you don't do this every day. Uh, I do this every day. And so do all of the other people that will help you through this journey. So it is very almost easy for us to, I wouldn't say skim over things, but because we do it every day uh, and we understand it so much, uh, I guess it's easy for us to um, assume that you might know something that you might not know. So please just stop everyone along the way. And if you don't quite get something, just ask. Don't shop on price, plan, and specification alone. This is another classic one that people seem to do all the time. And to be fair, if I was going through the building journey and I wasn't in the building industry, I would probably tackle it with a similar uh, type of mentality because I'm that kind of, I guess, analytical type person. I would probably go and get several different plans, get the several different builder spec sheets and look at those numbers and go, okay, which one is providing me with the best value? Which one is giving me the most things for my money? Now, the reality of building a home is that there is so much more to it than that. It's It comes down to all the different pieces that go into the home. And again, I'll touch on this later, but also one thing that people always seem to forget is the people. You, you just generally pay for better people and that will give you a better result. Uh, and again, I'm gonna go into that in a little bit more depth in one of the uh, later episodes. Ask for a detailed list of what is not included. So like I was saying before, everyone seems to get sort of really blinded by these big marketing words like bonus and extras and inclusions. And you're kind of focusing on those things and you're not focusing on the things that you're not getting. That is really, really uh, important. Uh, it might be things as simple as uh, a clothesline, a letterbox. It's important to talk about these things because they are still a cost when you, when you build a home and all of these little things uh, add up, a driveway crossover is another uh, common one that gets uh, skimmed over. Uh, just discuss those things and make sure you know what you're not getting as well as what you are. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very uh, important one to remember. Get it in writing. Now, this might seem like a really, really obvious thing to say, but um, <laughs> people often don't do this. And I think that uh, builders are also guilty of this as well, but it's always important to have any sort of correspondence where a specific outcome uh, is trying to be achieved, that that is 
in writing. And generally that should always be in email. Uh, by all means, communicate by phone and SMS and things like that if things are fairly informal. But it is, if, if it is something specific where an outcome is required, just make sure that is covered off in email, not just for your own benefit, also for the builder's benefit as well. It's just so, you know, you can just go back through and do things like a keyword search in 10 months time to try and find something that was said or not said and, and that sort of thing, because there is a, a lot of detail that goes into a build. So having that paper trail is really, really critical for everyone. Nothing is ever free. So I touched on this before, but I'll delve into it a little bit more now. So when you do see all of these big marketing messages saying you're getting 50 grand of this, 80 grand of this, or tripling of the grand for a free car or um, free rent while you build, all of these costs are going to be factored into your build and make no mistake, you are paying for those things somewhere in your build. They might be robbing uh, Peter to pay Paul somewhere in, in the scheme of things, but always remember to look at the big picture of what it is that you are getting and that price that you are paying. And is that representing value for you? Is it is it actually what you want? Or is there a lot there that you don't really want? You just sort of, uh, sort of jumping at just lots and lots of things. I always compare it to like a, a KFC family feast compared to a nice steak <laughs> as an example, right? So you always feel pretty guilty after knocking back one of those uh, family feasts, but it looks pretty good on the front end. Um, <laughs> so, and look, to just close this out, uh, the first sort of few comments, if you like, that I do have in the book. Um, this is a quote that my first boss in this specific job role actually gave to me and I, I always really, really liked it. And it was originally a quote from Benjamin Franklin. And uh, that is, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Now, for some reason, it seems to be anyway, that people seem to be chasing price, 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 price when they build a home and they forget this statement. And I'm just gonna say that again, because commit this to memory, because when you're making the biggest purchase of your life, more than likely, remember that, just remember this quote. It's, it's super, super critical. The bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. And I'll leave that, uh, those first comments there. Now, basically where we're gonna go from here is we're gonna dive into the finance component uh, of the building in Perth journey. So we're actually gonna dive in and talk to uh, Ivan from Resolve Finance. Now, this is uh, by all means the, the most unsexy part of the process, uh, but nonetheless, it's a necessary one. Uh, before we get into, I guess, the, I guess I'd call it the more creative, more fun side in terms of designing homes and talking about the building things, it's always really critical to understand what you can borrow, what you can afford, what repayments are going to be, you know, do you go to this bank or that bank and everything like that? So we are now just going to dive in, speak to Ivan, and he's going to tell us all about it. Hey, mate, you there? Devo, I'm here. Hey, uh, thanks for taking some time out to have a chat to us, mate. So obviously we're going to be talking a little bit about finance. So why don't you fill us in on uh, what your role is as a mortgage broker? Yes, I will do, mate. So, essentially, as a broker, um, I like to say we're, we're pretty much the conduit between the consumer and, and the bank, okay? Now, when I say bank, I mean banks. Um, so, you know, we've got, we've got a panel of lenders probably about 20 to 30 deep, um, and obviously, we sit in between the consumer and, and those panel of lenders. So, obviously, the consumer can leverage our knowledge, um, you know, and, and obviously... 
more so the, the choice. I mean, the consumer's got so much more choice. You can imagine if the consumer goes directly through to the bank, um, the only product that they can really offer is, is exactly what's, you know, between those four walls. So, um, in short, that's pretty much it, what a broker does. Cool. So I guess there's a little bit of a misconception. Uh, I know that sometimes when a client speaks to me, as an example, they think that they're going to pay more to use a broker. Can you just sort of uh, dispel that little myth and uh, fill people in on how that actually works? Absolutely. So good question, Devo. Look, using a broker service, um, it doesn't cost the consumer anything. So um, that's a, a real positive. So you can obviously sit down with someone um, you know, just have a casual chat. You know, that's pretty much where, where things sort of, um, essentially ignite. So, um, sitting down, having a chat and, and really working out, you know, where do you start, you know, in the, in the whole buying journey. Um, but yeah, it does not cost anything to, uh, sit down and get some advice from a broker. Cool. So I guess, um, for people that are listening, they might be looking at potentially building a home, even buying one maybe, but um, what would be, I guess, the first uh, steps that people should take in order to see whether they, I guess, qualify for finance um, to, to build a home? Good question, mate. Very important. Um, look, the first step, and, and this is probably um, number one, would be um, sit down with a broker. So get in touch. Um as I said before, it doesn't cost anything to obviously start that initial conversation. Um, we'll go through something called a finance health check. Um, it sounds a little bit more cornier than what it actually is, but essentially what it is, so it's us um, getting appreciation of where you're at, okay, and that's obviously financially, personally. Um, you know, it, it's us getting to know you um, and obviously, you know, what your what your goals are, what your end goals are, so... Um, we sit down. The biggest thing is, which obviously I get asked, is what can I borrow? Um, will I get approved? Is my income high enough? All of these questions are something which obviously we get asked and, and we go through. So the ultimate you know, end goal is for you to walk out of a meeting knowing exactly what you can borrow um, and, then, and then essentially go from there, start the buying journey. Cool. So would you be able to just touch on uh, what the differences are between uh, I guess what you issue is a letter of eligibility and, and what a bank sort of pre-approval are. Um, I do find that people uh, get those two mixed up and don't necessarily understand the difference when I chat to them. Mm-hmm. So good question. There's a letter of eligibility is essentially something which a broker will issue. Now, um, when a broker does issue that, he's obviously gone through and had a look at you know your financial um, situation He's obviously gone through and, and looked at your, you know, income, um, all of those things, um, you know, done a credit check in most cases as well. Um, so he's gone through and actually, you know, given his full recommendation in terms of, you know, that you guys can, you know, qualify for a, for a loan of 400,000. Um, but where it, where it differ- differentiates, in my opinion, is a letter of eligibility does not necessarily mean you fit that particular product. So, um, again, the leverage of a broker, we've got several different lenders that we can obviously use. So that is pretty much a broad sort of understanding, you know, hey, the client can actually qualify for finance and it's really positive. Um, whereas a pre-approval, so what that essentially is, is us applying. So we can engage with a bank and actually get a pre-approval for a customer as well. Um but a pre-approval, that means that we've actually submitted financial information over to a bank. 
um, and and they've obviously assessed it as per what we've put up. Um, and they've come back and said, look, we're happy to do business with these guys. Here's a pre-approval. It's valid for 90 days. Go out shopping. But the yeah, same okay. goes with the letter of eligibility as well, Beto. Yep, cool. So the letter of eligibility just probably gives you a little bit more upfront sort of flexibility. You're not sort of going down any specific pathway and you can make that decision a little bit later on uh, in your journey when you're looking to go for finance. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, you can move on things a lot quicker. So, you know, land agents out there will accept letter of eligibilities. Um, you know, they, they know that you've sat down, the broker's done their due diligence, um, you know, how to look at your obviously situation and all of that. But, um, yeah, they are worth their weight in gold. Um, it's, yeah, as I said, um, you know, it allows you to move forward, um, through the, through the, yeah, journey of buying a, uh, or, or starting, um, obviously, uh, buying yourself, uh, yeah, house building in this case. Yeah, cool. So in terms of deposits, obviously you can't, uh, start this process in terms of either building or buying without some sort of money in the bank. And there are different requirements around deposits depending on whether you're going to a major bank or whether you're using a low deposit like lender like Keystart. Can you just sort of cover off, uh, I guess, what those different pathways are and how much money you really need behind you to, to really seriously start looking at doing something? Yes. Yeah, so, You've got the traditional way, which is obviously going down the mainstream lender path. So obviously, you know, like your Commonwealth banks, your ANZs, et cetera. So, um, general rule of thumb is most of those banks will want to see you save at least 5% genuine savings. Okay. So they want to see you have the ability to, to put away 5%. Now, what I mean by that is 5% genuine savings of what you're trying to, you know, build. Um, so, if the house and land package is 400000 um, obviously the bank will want to see that you've demonstrated 5%. Now, that's if we go down that path, okay? Now, yes, LMI will be applicable, okay? Lenders mortgage insurance. Um, and this is a one-off premium, okay? Um, I'll go into a little bit more because um, we'll go through that in a sec, what that means. But um, essentially, if you don't have a, a, a deposit greater than 20%, you will have to pay LMI, Okay. Um, you can either go down that path, have a 20% deposit or even a security guarantee, which I can go into more depth with, with obviously the client. But, um, there's someone also that we use Keystar. So they're a government lender. Okay. So they're backed by the government. Um, with them, you pretty much don't need any genuine savings. Okay. Now, if you're a first home buyer, um, essentially you can use your first time owner's grant. Um, as your deposit with Keystar, okay? Um, all Keystar requires is 2% deposit. How we get there, um, we can we can go via the uh, first homeowner's grant. Um, they are also available to second home buyers. Um, it is the cheapest way to enter into the market if you're a second home buyer. Um, but there is obviously parameters with Keystar, which we'll go on um, in, a, in a second as well. Cool. So just covering off, I guess, what lenders mortgage insurance or LMI uh, is, um, can you just sort of explain what that is and why it's payable in some instances and where people are exempt from LMI as well? Because it can be quite a significant uh, cost that people need to factor in. 
100%, and it is. Um, so what is lenders' mortgage insurance? We get asked that quite a bit. So it's a, it's a one, it's a one-off insurance premium, obviously, that has a purpose of protecting the lender, okay, in the event that you default on your mortgage, okay? So exactly that. Um, it's not there to protect you, which a lot of people think, okay, well, look, you know, is this LMI thing, um, something which will cover me? No, it's not. Okay. So, um, it's there to protect the bank. Um, so it's a risk. Essentially, it's a risk fee. Okay. So the less deposit you can come into the whole transaction, um, the bank will essentially charge you what they call lenders mortgage insurance to protect them. Um, again, ways to avoid it is a 20% deposit um, or potentially a security guarantee. Now, one thing which I wanted to mention as well is with Keystart Bezo, um, they actually don't have LMI, okay, which I think is a massive win for them. Um, so you can enter the market with Keystart. Um, their lending criteria is 98%, okay, with that 2% deposit. Um, but they do not charge you a risk fee, which I think is absolutely unique um, and, a, and a massive win. Yeah, awesome. So just around uh, LMI as well, one of the other sort of caveats that pops up uh, a little bit uh, when I'm dealing with clients is high voltage power lines. Now, they are running through various estates and places uh, in Perth. So they're the big uh, Eiffel Tower looking power lines. Now, there are implications. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, Eiffel Tower is probably a bit of a flattering word for them. Um, <laughs> but um Yes, if you are within sort of 100 metres of those, uh, there are times when, uh, you know, well, basically you won't get LMI. Is that correct? Yes, correct, mate. So essentially, just to sort of break it down, so it goes in increments of 50 metres, okay? Now, if we are within 50 metres, what does that mean? If we are 50 to 100 metres, what does that mean? And then obviously, if we are over 100 metres. So I'll start with within 50 metres. Now, within 50 metres of obviously these high transmission um, power lines, there isn't many lenders out there which will entertain um, or essentially do business with you if you don't have a deposit greater than 20%, okay? Um, that's pretty standard across the board. Um, if we are 50 to 100 metres, okay, from the power lines, that is reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, I'd probably say 50% of lenders and, and banks out there will will do business with people, um, you know, and, and you don't need a 20% deposit, so generally 5 maybe 10% deposit is sufficient. Um, and then anything over 100 metres is fine, okay? You'll find most banks um, and lenders do not have a problem with that. Now, just to sort of go back a little bit, um, Deso, and, and just to sort of emphasise why the banks do that, which I think is important, um, let's go um, zero to 50 metres. Now, the reason why the banks impose 20% deposit is because they need a buffer, okay? If something was to happen and they need to sell the house, um, there's a bit of fat, um, there's a bit of buffer between obviously what you owe and what the house could be sold for. But the other challenge comes is, when you're selling the house, okay, so when it comes to sell the, selling the place, we are limiting the sale to realistically buyers with more than 20% deposit, okay? And that's if you are selling a home in an established form, that's within 50 metres of the power lines. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I've answered so, that better. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's perfect. And I think um, it's, 
yeah, it's something important to identify for people that are looking, because quite often what I see happen is people go to the blocks closer to the power lines because they're going to get a much larger piece of land for their money, which is fine, even if they have the 20% deposit or they're able to do it via Keystart. But I think it's really important for people to understand that when it comes time to uh, sell that home in the future, they are narrowing their audience quite significantly because those people with that 20% deposit are actually few and far between. You sure are, absolutely. Okay, so look, let's talk about what not to do while applying for finance. I guess um, between the time you you know, uh, put a deposit down on a block and pay a deposit to a builder and the time that you go for your actual formal finance, it can be a couple of months. So what should people absolutely not do during that period? Good question. Um, obviously, yeah, what, what not to do while applying for finance? I mean, guys, the, the main thing here is, you know, you, you don't change your job. Um, don't change your job, um, you know, because that's going to obviously um, impact on things. Um, taking out more debt um, is a big no-no, so um, that's probably a big one. Um, loans, so obviously like afterpays and that sort of stuff, which uh, we all have. There's a, you, you're obviously familiar with those as well. I am. You know, these sort of things, the lenders, I mean, they won't force you to close them, um, but what they will want to see is that they're at a zero balance, okay, in particular sure. Keystart. So Keystart do like seeing these um, with zero balances. Um, but, yeah, the biggest thing is don't change your job. Um, don't change anything which which will impact, um, uh, one, your affordability. Um, you know, make sure that things are, are fairly level and, and you know, stay at a, you know, stay the same, um, you know, from literally when you, when we first engaged in conversations, you know, around obviously what we can borrow and all of that to right at the end when we settle on your land um, and, and obviously when, when your construction commences. But, um, yeah, that's, that's my biggest tips there. Cool. Awesome. So next up, let's talk about our first homeowner's grant, who is eligible, what the value of that is, and just how that uh, all works. Absolutely. Free money. Free money. So um, at the moment, Bezo, so we've got the first homeowner grant here in WA. Okay. Now, this information, obviously, you, you can find it on the OSR website as well. But um, that's Office of our State Revenue for everyone listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely. But um, essentially, so what we've got now is the $10,000 um, first homeowner's grant. Okay. And that's available for anybody um, building a, a new home. Okay. Now, um, if, and this is something I'm just going to sort of throw some examples out there. Um, if a couple, okay, so if we look at a, um, a couple, um, so one, so the couple A, I'm going to say couple A, um, they've never owned a home, okay? Um, it's their first house and couple B, um, they've owned a home five years ago. Um, you know, they sold five years ago. Um, often I get asked, you know, is that sort of scenario, you know, a couple A and B, um, one's owned a home, one hasn't, do they still qualify for the first homeowner's grant? Short answer, no, they don't. Um, so realistically, if one person has been paid a grant or received any sort of stamp duty um, concession in the past, it renders both of them um, not eligible, okay, even though, you know, one party has never been, you know, paid the first homeowner's grant. Um, the other thing which I get asked a lot, Desa, is also, which you probably get asked the same thing. Now, a couple, they've never owned a home before. Um, do they get, do they get paid double the grant? Okay. 
No, you don't. I you can only use um, the ten thousand. Obviously, first homeowners grant once. Okay, and that applies for obviously you know uh, the couple that's entering the transaction. So you don't get double the grant. Cool. Um, yeah, that pretty much sort of sums it up um, in terms of stamp duty. Um, I think we'll go on to that right now as well. Um, yeah, that's um, pretty much what I wanted to segue into next because you were talking about stamp duty concessions. So I am going to go a little bit deeper into stamp duty with uh, Chantel from Oldfield Settlements a little bit later on. But um, can you just sort of cover off uh, stamp duty and whether it's payable or not? Mm-hmm. So stamp duty, so I'm going to use a first-time owner um, or a first-time buyer uh, as an example now. When we are building a house, um, the only stamp duty um, component applicable is essentially what's tangible, and that is the block of land that we can see and touch and write and, and smell. <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully hopefully not smell too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's essentially what we pay stamp duty on. Now, as a first-time builder, you don't pay stamp duty on the block of land, okay, from essentially up to 300000 okay? So the block of land can be um, can cost three hundred grand, and you will not pay stamp duty. Okay, now obviously unless something changes, but um, where your stamp duty essentially commences is from three hundred thousand. Okay, so you still get the first homeowner's grant. Okay, so you're still eligible for that, um, but you aren't eligible um, for essentially a stamp duty concession from anything above three hundred. So you pay a small percentage from it. You know, essentially from three hundred to three ten or three twenty. Um, does that sort of make sense, Deva? Yeah, no, that's uh, absolutely absolutely perfect. Yeah, that's um, that's fine. I'm going to go more into detail about uh, what the tax actually is later on with Chantel. Correct. So let's dive into uh, compulsory inclusions for finance. So some lenders do have um, specific things that they need in a building contract in order to issue finance. Can you? cover off a little bit about uh, what's involved there? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, probably the biggest one which we see is Keystart. So Keystart, I'd probably say, have got the biggest, um, you know, uh, compulsory inclusion list um, into when it comes to obviously building a house. Uh, reason being, as we know, they're lending you um, money at, you know, essentially they're giving you 98% of what the um, home is worth and they're not charging you any LMI, which is which is brilliant. Um, they do want compulsory inclusions um, in the home because they want the home to be as finished as possible. Okay, so essentially turnkey, um, which which we call it, but um, that's crucial. Okay, it's crucial to align yourself with a builder like yourself. Deso, um you are, you would already know what was included and what needs to be in, in, included in a home um, if the finance is going through the Keystart Avenue. But um, as I said. It's important because one, they want the home, you know, fully finished just in case, you know, they don't want the consumer to pay any more, um, than what they need to, you know, um, so yeah, stuff like that. You need, you do need blinds, window treatments, um, you know, like a driveway up to the crossover, those sort of things, which obviously, you know, you're all over and, and you go through in, in much more detail with, with the, uh, with the client. Cool. So I guess uh, last thing on the agenda for me anyway was um, explaining what is in a house and land package and I guess the fact that you do enter into two separate 
contracts, one for the land and one for the build, but generally, not always, but generally that will be done as kind of like one mortgage. Can you just sort of cover off how that all works? Yes, absolutely. So, um, look, the transactions can be done in, in, so I look at obviously a building journey that is just one big timeline. So, um, you know, when you originally start those conversations with a broker and obviously like yourself, Devo, so figuring out what I can borrow, what we can build, um, etc. Now you might enter into a, um, or put a deposit down on a block of land. Um, you know, let's go day one. Now, it might take you a, a couple of weeks um, to essentially, you know, nut out a design, um, you know, with yourself um, and, and, and then obviously, you know, finalise that. Now, yes, it is two separate transactions, but what you actually see in the end is one loan, okay? So, it's not done separately. It's done as one transaction. It's just one um, is finalised first um, than the other because obviously your, your land, again, I say it's tangible, it's there, we can see it. So that's the first thing you buy, okay, and that's the first thing we settle on. Um, after that, what we call is we commence construction, okay, and that's when your progressive drawdowns happen um, and the bank holds, you know, I'm going to say 50% of the funds um, and they pay down that in instalments to the builder as, a, as the builder essentially um, builds your home. Now, again, a lot of people get confused. They're like, well, how does that all look? Um, guys, it, it's literally just one loan, okay, so... Um, we go into far more detail when actually I sit down with someone and, and nut out exactly how that sort of looks. So what I mean by that is the um, progressive payments, so over construction. Um, so I can exactly explain what those interest repayments will be. Um, but, yeah, essentially it is one transaction and uh, don't confuse yourself when you are, you know, looking at, well, essentially when you put a deposit down on a block of land and then we need to, you know, commence and, and start engaging with a builder um, like yourself. Cool. No worries. Uh, look, I think that about wraps it up for things that I I wanted to talk about, but is there anything else uh, that you wouldn't, uh, that you'd like to sort of uh, have a chat about as well or? Yeah, absolutely. I'll finish it off on, uh, I suppose, Dezo, you know, you know, essentially how essential, well, Essentially, how essential. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, guys, start com- start the conversations early. Um, you know, get the right people in your corner um, who obviously know and understand the building process um, is fundamental, in my opinion. Um, you know, it doesn't cost anything to sit down with a broker and essentially start. You know, those conversations. You know, in terms of what what you can borrow, what you can afford, um, and then from there we can easily transition. You know yourself with Bezo and then essentially work out a specific design or a suitable design, even, you know, suitable area to build in. Um, so, you know, getting those things right um, in the in the onset, in my opinion, is, is extremely important. Um, it's like a boxer. I mean, a boxer needs to have the right people in his corner to obviously win the fight. Um, and, and it, and it's no different. Um, it's no different. So yeah, I think that's crucial. Um, Deso, yeah, starting the conversations early and it can be as simple as having a coffee somewhere. Um, and that's the beauty of being, you know, essentially engaging with a broker is we can come to you. Um, we can come to you where you feel comfortable and, um, it can be after hours and it can be as simple as having a, having a coffee and having a chat and, and taking it from there. So yeah. Awesome. That was uh, excellent, mate. Thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Devo. 
Okay, that's one episode down and four to go on our little building in Perth journey. Once again, thanks so much to Ivan from Resolve for uh, taking some time out of his day to talk us through that finance process. It is a little bit of a detailed one and it does bamboozle a lot of people. And to be fair, bamboozles me at times as well. There's just so many different ways that things could be done. But I guess uh, the crux of uh, what Ivan is saying is look, it really just comes down to catching up with someone like himself and just talking through your finances. And you're gonna get a picture of exactly what you can do within sort of you know a 24 or 48 hour period. Uh, now look, just because we talked to Ivan about finance, it's very important that I acknowledge that he works for Resolve Finance and their ACL is 385487. That's usually the really, really fast words they have at the end of the finance ads when you see it uh, on TV. Uh, it is one of those little hoops that we have to jump through when we are talking about finance, even though the advice given there wasn't like too specific or anything like that. As always, you can find me as Build With Dezo on Facebook or Instagram. That is Build With D-E-Z-O. That wraps it up for episode one and I will see you next time. Building in Perth, everything you wish you knew in five informative episodes. Available on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts.